0: Got a special episode today, another interview. I think I always say special episode. They're all special episodes to me. But yeah, we haven't been doing a lot of interviews lately, honestly, because I only want to interview people that I think are going to be really interesting. You know, there's a lot of podcasts out there where all they do is interviews. And I don't know, it's just interesting. Sometimes I would just want to hear from the person who's actually doing the podcast and not just hear them ask questions all the time. And that's what I try to do for you, you know, creating something that I think I would enjoy. So we're doing interviews when they're special and you know when it's someone I think is going to be really awesome. And so this episode, we do have someone really awesome. Someone so awesome that I already did a, a previous podcast on this topic of social anxiety because I was inspired by another podcast where I listened to an interview with her. Who is her? Ellen Hendrickson. And she is the author of How to Be Yourself, Quiet Your Inner Critic and Rise Above Social Anxiety. This woman is everything curing social anxiety. She had social anxiety. She cured it. Oh, I should say, you know, cures when it's completely gone, but she knows how to manage it and control it, so it's no longer a problem in her life. That's what she's going to teach you to do on today's episode, and we to be talking about some really cool techniques that you can use, and we go pretty deep, and we give a lot of really good advice, mainly on her end because she's the expert, she's a psychologist, she actually has another podcast herself, which we talk about a little bit on the interview. It's called Savvy Psychologist. So we're not just hearing from some random expert, which is kind of someone like me, but she's an actual psychologist, and she's studied this. So she understands social anxiety, where it comes from, why it's there, and she even cites some awesome studies that I promise you you're going to like that are just really motivational, really motivational. It's going to motivate you to want to go out and talk to more girls if you do have social anxiety. So even if you're back and you're like, oh, Tripp's talking about social anxiety again. He just did an episode on that. Then there was another one a couple years ago. Trust me, this is something you want to hear because we're talking to the source itself to really conquer this thing once and for all. So here's my interview with Ellen Hendrickson. Check this out. Hey, Ellen, so glad to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, absolutely. Now, Ellen, you have your own podcast as well called Savvy Psychologist. So you've not only been guest on many podcasts, that's how I, I found out about you, but you also have your own. So you want to talk about that a little bit so guys who are listening can be like, oh, maybe I'll check that out and see if it's something for me.
1: Sure, yeah. So Savvy Psychologist is um, a short, really actionable podcast where we talk about you know mental health and well-being and optimization. And I give you really concrete scientifically based tips that people can use, you know, every day for, you know, a happier and healthier life. I'm a research scientist by training and I also do psychotherapy and so I I love nothing more than digging around in data and making it actionable for a general audience.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the point, right? I think that's one of the things that makes it sometimes hard for people to get results in their life is they don't have enough actionable practical things to use which is what I try to do here you know, on the podcast. And so people can actually take it and use it. And I'm hoping, and I know, because I've heard you speak before, uh, that you're going to have some of those today for the guys who are listening who deal with anxiety and just being in social situations.
1: Absolutely. And let me just say that with social anxiety, that is the one anxiety disorder where the genders are equal, that social anxiety affects men and women equally. And so I think it's, it's really important to remember that that guys get socially anxious and and to speak to that.
0: Right. And it's really interesting to hear that because I don't think that guys know right that women get nervous too and I try to say that on multiple podcasts but now I'm glad that you're saying it to confirm what's going on here. So it's not like every woman that a guy wants to go talk to is this super confident woman just because the guy finds her attractive. You know, I think oh, we yeah. make up no. those stories in our head that she is because they're attracted to them
1: absolutely no and i think we can push it even farther because if we ask people if they are shy which is just the everyday way of saying socially anxious 40% of people will say yes that's almost half of everybody and if you change the question and ask have you ever been shy then like you know were you shy as a child were you awkward as a teenager then 80% of people will say yes and that's that's almost everybody so so many people can relate to the feelings of social anxiety and shyness and awkwardness. I would say it is, the, the numbers are so big that we can
0: call it normal. I mean, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting because when I hear you say that, I go back to when I was a kid. And I remember, this doesn't have to, well, I guess this, well, you tell me if this is about you know social anxiety. I mean, I think it is. I was, I don't even know how old I was. It's one of my earliest memories. I was at my grandma's house. I must have been like five years old, like five, six years old. And I remember seeing this like glass jar of very brightly colored M and M's. Okay, and for a kid, that's like whoa, like super I, tempting. I, oh, super tempting! They're yeah. colorful, they're delicious chocolate. And it was, you know, at my grandma's house, and there was a party going on. There's a, a bunch of people there, and I remember as a child, as a little kid, I wanted one of those M and M's so badly, and I, I couldn't do it. I was too shy to go grab it because I was afraid. I don't know. Someone would be looking at me, or I'd get in trouble. And by the way, for no reason. This doesn't go back to like my mom or or dad saying mm-hmm. like I mm-hmm. can't have M and M's. Like there was no actual reason for it. But that's my earliest memory of being shy, and I always call back to that one moment.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. There is there was the sense that you might have gotten caught, or you'd be the center of attention, or that it would be turned into a big deal. And and that's that's the heart of social anxiety. So social anxiety grown up is this perception that we have some kind of fatal flaw, like that there's something embarrassing or deficient about us that unless we work really hard to conceal or hide that fatal flaw, then we'll be revealed and we'll be judged or rejected for it. And with any social anxiety that it creates insecurity and that in turn leads to avoidance. And so in terms of our topic today, you know, thinking we're not good enough can lead to avoidance Either overtly, with like not talking to women at all, not saying hi, not asking her out, or or can lead to covert avoidance. So maybe showing up, but you know staring at our phone most of the time, or only talking to the guys we came with. And so, regardless, this avoidance is not helping us. And so we can talk about lots of ways to get over that.
0: Cool, cool. And I, I have a ton of questions for you now. Before we get into this, I know you also have a very popular book called How to Be Yourself, Quiet Your Inner Critic and Rise Above Social Anxiety. Now, by the cover, it looks like it is for women. I believe you did write it for women. Talk a little bit about that. And also, I want you to tell us what made you write this book? What made you want to dig into this area? Like why was this area so interesting to you? What made you go there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so the book, the book has been a dream come true. And yes, it does indeed look like it was Written for women, like the you know the cover, the font is in purple, you know. But really, it's quite honestly, don't tell anyone, but it's just marketing. So you know, women women buy self help books, and so my publishers decided we're going to market to women, even though, as I mentioned before, social anxiety is an equal opportunity challenge. Anyway, if you for all the guys listening, you can get the book and throw a Tom Clancy dust jacket over it and then you can take it out into public. But in terms of me, why did I write this? So this is the book I wish I had when I was 20. This is the book that I that I wish I had known that I didn't have to be so anxious all the time that my and we can talk about all these things like my perfectionism was getting in the way of trying to move forward that I wasn't as anxious as I felt I didn't look how I how I felt there are all these lessons about social anxiety and anxiety in general that I had to learn the hard way either through experience or through my own training as a clinical psychologist that I I wish I had had and and so now this is this is the you know the distillation of both my personal experience but also my research and clinical training as a handbook so people don't have to you know go through decades like I did to overcome their
0: social anxiety. How long did it take you to get over your social anxiety? You said you was 20 years old when you had it?
1: Oh, well, I mean, I think most people with social anxiety will tell you that it's always been a part of them, that there has always been some kind of sense of inhibition or you know, not wanting to be the center of attention. You know, feeling like there, it will become obvious to everyone that, you know, kind of insert insecurity here and that it changes as you age. And so, for example, like for me, when I was in college, like I actually made sure that I was busy. Like I went out like every Friday and Saturday night because I was afraid people would think I was a loser otherwise. Like that was the reveal. It's going to become obvious that I'm a loser. When I was starting my career, I, I worked super hard because it will become obvious that I'm incompetent. And when I think about it and when I look back, I know that those things are not true. That was just my social anxiety talking. But when that is whispered, you know, when your brain whispers that to you, it feels true. And it's really hard to step back and realize, wait a minute, if I think about this, that's not true at all. I'm a cool person. I, you know, I'm friendly. I'm, you know, I'm I'm competent. And what is this insecurity that's, you know, that's trying to lie to me? And tell me that A, the worst case scenario that I can imagine is gonna happen, and B, that I can't cope. So, you know, it's taken again, it's taken a long time. And I still have my moments. You know, ever you know, getting over your social anxiety doesn't mean you'll never be anxious. It means that it won't own you, that it won't control your life, and that you can do whatever you set out to do, even if it makes you nervous.
0: Yeah, and I can relate to that too, because in my early twenties, mid-20s, I had bad approach anxiety, which is a term that just means, you know, scared to go and approach a woman that you want to talk to. Oh, sure.
1: That sounds universal.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. And now that I've, well, now I'm 33, the time of, of this podcast episode. And so when I was maybe 23, 24, well, I mean, I always had it, but at 23, 24, I was like, oh, I, I realized I had it. And so I took the steps to get over the approach anxiety, but it's still there. But I Mm -hmm. manage it better now and I know how to control it versus before where it would control me just exactly like you're saying. Like now, I I will still feel the feeling or the physiological feeling of anxiety or nervousness that might come about, you know, that kind of fight or flight adrenaline. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I know what that is, I'm aware of that, and I don't let it stop me, mostly because I've given myself enough experiences with approaching that I know what to expect and therefore, even though my body's reacting in a certain way and even my mind in a certain way, I know that it's not true and it's not something that I need to let take over the situation at hand if I want to go over and talk to a girl.
1: Absolutely, and I think you've hit on the heart of the matter there that in order to build confidence, okay, so let me back up. So a lot of people will come into my office, it's like clients will come into my office and say, you know, I wish I could like hit pause on my life and I wish I could kind of just like retreat from the world and work on my social anxiety and gain confidence and then like reemerge like from, you know, like from a cocoon like a butterfly and then I could live my life and I could do what I want. And so my response to them is always, you know, supportive and like that sounds awesome, let's have you live the life you want and let's do that in the opposite order let's have you live your life in order to gain confidence rather than trying to build confidence in a vacuum and then going out and living your life and so i think to your point so like doing the things that scared you so approaching women that by doing those things by doing the things you were afraid of you were able to see oh wait that the wor again the worst case scenario doesn't always happen i don't get pointed at and humiliated like worst case scenario, yeah, you know, or most often, you know i I might have a nice conversation, or maybe I will get rejected, but how how bad is that? Also, too, you discovered that you could cope that if the worst case scenario happened, you did get rejected or someone was rude to you, that you know, yeah, that's a, I can you can handle that. You can either go talk to your buddies or you know, just kind of do whatever you need to to cope and soothe yourself and then do it again.
0: I like that. And you know what else? I also talk about, I think you'll like this, the idea of future projecting, right? So mm. let's say you have a moment where you're out and about and you see a pretty girl. You want to go talk to her, right? You have two options. You can do it or you don't do it. And so what I say is, think about where you're going to be 10 minutes after you try approaching her or maybe even as far as the next day. And think about, what are you going to be thinking in that moment if. Let's say she does end up rejecting you. You know, 10 minutes after it happens, are you going to be happy that you at least did it? And then let's say you don't do it and compare it to that feeling. So we're comparing the feeling of, man, I I didn't do it, which is a kind of a crappy feeling. You're like, Mm -hmm. I wanted to do it Mm -hmm. and I didn't do it. It feels like a failure in itself. And then there's the feeling of, well, I did it and okay, now I know. And it really wasn't so bad. And so I tell guys, well, they'll have to prove this to themselves, but I tell them, the feeling of going up and trying and still getting rejected, or maybe you feel the, the feeling of embarrassment is way less worse than having not done it at all. And to think about the future you in that point.
1: Absolutely. And then I think, to, so with that decision point, I can either go talk to this woman or I could not talk to her. If the road taken is not talk to her, then that underscores those two lies that social anxiety tells, that the worst case scenario is going to happen and that you can't handle it. And so not only does the choosing the path of, well, let me go let me go talk to her. Let me just be curious. Let me just be interested in her as a person. That will chip away at those two lies of social anxiety. But the other path, not doing it, will actually underscore those two lies. So not only does, does not doing it Well, so in the moment, not doing it releases you from the anxiety. And that feels good. Like that, That's like crack. Getting relief from anxiety is really a powerful reinforcer. But underneath it, there's going to be the sense of regret or a sense of guilt or a sense of beating oneself up. Plus, it reinforces those two lies and makes it harder to overcome it the next time.
0: Yeah, exactly. I also think it helps build self-esteem. I was reading in the book The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. I don't know if you ever read that book. No, I haven't. Okay. Uh, It's basically one of the bigger books on self-esteem. It's called The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem by Nathaniel Brandon. And he says in one of the pillars that a great way to build self-esteem is to try to accomplish a goal or do something and complete something. And the more that you can do that, you will feel better about yourself because you're taking action and you're doing something. So I believe that Even going up and doing the approach or doing something scary or being in a social situation where you know this is going to be tough but you do it can accomplish building some self-esteem because you said, hey, I did it regardless of what actually happened. Because really, the whole problem with people who have social anxiety is just the act of doing it. They're they're paralyzed to go and do the thing that makes them scared. So even doing it, regardless of the outcome, is something that can help slowly build the self-esteem like, hey, I did it. Like there, there it was. I did it. I, I talked to her. Okay, whatever. It didn't go that well or the way I wanted it to exactly. Like I didn't get a number, but at least I feel good that I tried.
1: Absolutely. And I, I like that this author is talking about self-esteem as a process, as like not necessarily like accomplishing the thing, but trying, like going ahead and doing it. Because I think that at least in in research circles, like I feel like self-esteem will often get a bad rap because. It is a label. And so again, I'm glad this author thinks about it as a process. But sometimes self-esteem gets distorted. And we try to use like self-esteem to replace what social anxiety is telling us. So again, social anxiety tells us there's something wrong with us. It's, the, it's this perception that we're inadequate. So social anxiety tells us, I'm a loser or I'm inadequate. And so oftentimes, we'll try to put kind of a band-aid label over that. So instead of, I'm a loser, we'll say, "Well, I'm amazing. Or instead of, I'm inadequate, like I'm a catch. And labels, even when they're good, even when they're positive, really work against you because there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to learn. And if you convince yourself of a good label, like I'm smart, or I'm successful, or I'm amazing, there's actually farther to fall. And so the moment a normal setback or a normal struggle or a normal rejection happens, you start to question the entire label. So for example, like kids whose parents say, oh, you're smart, you're smart, you're smart. The minute they struggle or get a bad grade, like if they, you know, go into algebra and it's just their nemesis and they get a C, then they're like, wait a minute, maybe I'm not smart. And the whole thing shatters. And so and I that love fe- that, that.
0: feels pretty bad. Like that could feel even worse. They're like, oh, wait, I, I it's like, Almost like you're coming down from a really big high. Like, oh, I'm great. Wait, I'm not.
1: Wait, I'm great. at it. Yeah, I've been living a lie. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so I like that this is a process. And in addition to that, I would try to switch out this concept called self compassion for self esteem. And so this in practice is talking to yourself as you would a good friend. So instead of like trying to psych yourself up with like, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, you know, a label before talking to a woman to think of how you would cheer yourself on. So like, this is awesome. I'm finally facing my fears. Like, I'm really brave. This is huge. No matter what happens, I'm doing it. Like, The first three seconds are the hardest. If I hang in there, it'll get easier. So like really being your own cheerleader rather than just giving yourself a label.
0: I like that. I kind of want to speak more to that because that seems like a really good way to do it. But I want to hear more about that. So we're not saying I'm awesome. We're not saying I'm crappy. Right. We're not saying anything about ourselves at all. Is that what you're saying? Or we're not putting any labels on at all? We're just trying to be present in the experience itself and be more maybe curious or just see what happens or be excited about going through a process?
1: Well, okay. So I think how do we how do we how do we not yeah. judge
0: ourselves? I guess. No, is the I get question. it. I
1: get it. Yeah. I think if we if we honestly, deep down, believe that you know we're we're awesome or we're amazing, then that's then you know go with it. That's that's fine. But what happens is that we often try to put the labels on ourselves, like stand in front of the mirror and say I'm amazing, and that can feel like a lie. It can feel like a mask because there might be this little voice inside us that's like, No, you're not. No, no, you're not. And so and then we walk around trying to keep that mask on and that because social anxiety is about the reveal it's about being afraid to be revealed as inadequate or a loser or whatever you know trying to keep that mask on perpetuates the social anxiety it feels like it's barely hiding the reveal and so when you know deep down it feels like a lie it it doesn't work but if it's true like if you if you genuinely believe it like then then absolutely like then it, it doesn't feel like a lie so but i think that here this is this is a nice segue into talking about the again the, the the process and the progress and so I think it is helpful to focus on to, to try to be non-attached to an outcome to focus on progress so like this week I talked to five women regardless of the outcome or you know the progress could be about self-care this week I ate really well I'm trying to be paleo you know I really I stuck to the diet this week I stuck to my workout schedule. This month I read 3 books. This week I practiced guitar every day. Like whatever, you know, don't don't focus on the finish line. Look at what you are doing. And then inherent in progress is time and practice and failure and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to feel anxious, you know, when it comes to talking to women, we're going to get rejected. But if we're focused on the process and the progress, then the label doesn't matter. What matters is that we're curious and interested about getting to know you know, women as as people and connecting on a genuine level, which ultimately will get you farther than trying to psych yourself up.
0: Right. Okay, I like that. I want to go even deeper too. I want to go into some questions I had earlier yeah. to really understand. This is questions that I have that I'm actually trying to understand. So you go to this point where you have social anxiety, you don't want to reveal yourself, as you're saying, and mm-hmm. you don't want to reveal yourself because you don't want to be judged. You're scared of being judged. Now, I want to go deeper than that. I want to know why is it that we're scared to be judged? Why are we so in fear and anxiety when someone looks down upon us? Or I guess the perception of that, right? We Sometimes we just make that up in our head that we just think someone's looking down upon us when it's not actually true. But that fear is real and it's still there. Why is it there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're social animals. Insecurity is part of the human condition. and. I think that a you know a healthy dose of self doubt actually you know it helps us monitor ourselves and our behavior and so you know way back you know evolutionarily we were tribal creatures and so we had we had to get along with our fellow humans or else we'd be kicked out of the tribe and so we doubt ourselves in order to check ourselves like we we have insecurities in order to keep ourselves in line and ultimately get along with our fellow humans and so. I also just to flip insecurity, like a total lack of insecurity is actually a sign of things gone wrong. Like a, a lack of insecurity is a symptom of being a narcissist or a psychopath. <laughs> and and so and it's that the studies have actually been, been done showing that the the inverse of social anxiety is psychopathy, is being a psychopath. So, you know, so some social anxiety is actually a sign of health and and just trying to trying to get along with others. And so I think that's why. In terms of, okay, so, but also social anxiety as a disorder is based on a misperception. Like the idea that we're a loser or we're in or we're inadequate or whatever is an error, is a distortion. And so social anxiety can be uh, manifested in four different categories. And so roughly, um the four categories are the first is about appearance. So it will become obvious to everyone, or it will be revealed that I'm ugly. Or that I'm fat, or you know that that I'm, I'm I'm unattractive. The second type is it will become obvious that the signs of anxiety themselves are like giving me away. That my palms are sweaty, that my hands are shaking, that my voice is shaking, that I'm turning red. That's a group unto itself. The two biggest ones I think are the are the ones that most of us and that probably your audience are most concerned with. And the so the third is it will become obvious that. I have no social skills, that I'm boring, that I'm annoying, that no one really wants me here, that I have no personality. And the fourth is just kind of a general, like, characterological problem. Like, I'm stupid, I'm incompetent. And and so any any of those four types are going to drive insecurity. And, you know, so like I said before, thinking you're not good enough will lead to avoidance. So not talking to her at all, you know, or at worst, can lead to thinking you have to manipulate her into being interested, that you have to use tricks to get her to be interested because you're not sufficient. And that's a really toxic place to be, plus it's simply not effective. So something that I, I like to, to tell people is that... So we talked before about building confidence by doing things. So you know, you've, you've got to do the things you're scared of and your confidence will catch up to put behavior before confidence. But in addition, I want to emphasize that... Social anxiety is a lie that we already have confidence, and so there's this wonderful study I want to talk about. So this is a study out of the University of Liverpool, and it took um, young heterosexual men, and they they showed that that how confidence can be kind of like it can be influenced by the placebo effect. So they divided this, this group of young men into, into two groups, and some of them got a scented spray, like a body spray and the other half didn't didn't get any of that at all so they've got a you know the the cologne group and the not cologne group okay so then every man had his picture taken and he made a short 15 second video imagining he was introducing himself to an attractive woman so he's got so you've got multiple groups here so you've got guys who don't have the spray and they've had their picture taken and made a video then you've got the guys who did use the spray, they took a picture and made the video. Okay, then heterosexual women were recruited to judge the pictures and videos on attractiveness. But they weren't told whether the men were using the spray or not. And so in the photographs, the, the women didn't find any differences. Like all these guys are kind of the same between the fragrance using and the non-fragrance using guys. But on video, the women judged the fragrance using men as more attractive even though they couldn't smell them. Okay, so why is that? So that suggests that a difference in the men's behavior made them more attractive. And so, you know, it's like Dumbo's magic feather. That, that cologne, that spray didn't make them more attractive. It's the placebo effect. It allowed them to bring forth the confidence that they had all along. It didn't confer social skills. It gave them the confidence to put the skills they already had to use. So this insecurity, this social anxiety is a distortion and I think if we allow ourselves to I mean I know I know this is easier said than done but you know by doing the things we're scared of we can realize that we have the confidence in us and that it's just being held back by these lies of social anxiety.
0: That's amazing. That is a really cool study. I mean there's a lot of stuff there and it was basically saying to these guys the ones who did put on the cologne that was supposed to what was it the cologne that was supposed to be more attractive to women or
1: no it was just it was just a, you know just a cologne so but I think there's this idea that okay I'm doing something that's gonna make me attractive you know and so then they felt more attractive So okay here here's what I think happened is I think using the cologne set up two feedback loops. I think it's a feedback loop within themselves. So, like, hey, like this, this cologne is gonna be attractive to girls. Girls are gonna like, you know, how I smell or or whatever. And so they were able to act more confident. And then they saw themselves acting more confident. And they're like, hey, maybe I am more confident. Like they weren't just faking it, they were actually adopting the demeanor of someone who is confident. So that's one feedback loop. And then I think that it also created a feedback loop to the women who are watching the video that be by presenting themselves more confidently. That, that you know they got to set the tone then you know women responded to them as if they were confident because they were and so I think that those are the two kind of magic <laughs> things that are that are happening I mean and yeah it,
0: was- it is like magic have you ever seen the movie love potion number nine
1: no I have not
0: okay do you know what it's about
1: uh fill, fill me in I, okay. I can guess that's yeah. all right
0: most people listening probably don't even know uh, well it's based off of a song from like the 50s but the movie love potion number nine is about these scientists who's got from some sort of gypsy this love potion where if you take a little bit, it's like a little liquid, and you swallow it, it does something to your vocal cords. So when you go up to a girl or a girl goes up to a guy, in this case we'll say the guy going up to the girl, all he has to say is anything. He can just go, hmm. like She just has to hear his the sound of his voice in any way or shape or form, and she falls in love with him for like three hours. So this kind of reminds me of that in the sense where it's as if they were told, hey, listen, here it is. Here's the potion. It's going to work no matter what. Mm. You're already more attractive. And I have this theory that because that happened, it let down their guard. So can you imagine Mm. if love potion number nine really existed and you were to spray it, you wouldn't have any anxiety at all because you'd be like, oh, I'm just going to go up to this girl and she's just going to like me because I know she's going to like me because that's the fact of the matter because I am attractive now because of this. And so. Well, in this case, you know, in this study, it's not real, but what happens, I think, is that it almost lets them just feel more at ease or more relaxed and more just mm-hmm. comfortable with who they are because they already know that, hey, I got something working for me." But in reality, you know what you're saying here is that that was the thing, that was the thing that actually made the woman attracted them just being more calm, cool, and collected. Absolutely,
1: yes, yes. There's this interesting story I tell in my book. So there's a, an entrepreneur named Jia Zhang, and he came from China to the United States when he was 16, and he like wanted to be the next Bill Gates. And so he became an adult and went to business school, and so he decided to take a big jump. He left like a corporate job and founded a startup and just as he was at some kind of major juncture in the startup he lost his funding and so this was this huge like smack in the face rejection from his backers and it was really not only was that bad because he had a number of employees at this time but it it really stymied his confidence and he was unable to like kind of get his mojo back to go like try to try again and get more funding and so he decided to put himself through this boot camp that he called 100 days of rejection. So he tried to like, basically develop a thick skin and, and not be affected by rejection. So he tried to get rejected for 100 days. And so on the first day, he decides to ask the security guard in his building if he can borrow $100. And so he, fil- he puts his phone in his pocket and films this interaction. And you see him like, kind of scurry up to the guy and he's, you know, he's, he's obviously nervous and kind of spits out, excuse me, do you think I can borrow $100? You know, like He talks really fast and really softly. And the guy just kind of looks at him like with a puzzled face and says, no, why? And Ja doesn't even really hear him. He just says, okay, sorry, no, I, that's fine. No problem, no problem, and like runs away. And when he was watching the video later, he realized that the guy had said no, so he accomplished his goal of getting rejected. But the guy also said, why? like it's this invitation to to continue the conversation and instead he ran away and and so the all the things he was doing the so speed like i'm sure his posture was really like kind of crunched in he was probably avoiding eye contact like he spoke really fast and softly all those things are what's called safety behaviors you're trying to keep yourself safe you're trying to make the moment like just to get this over with and so you can like retreat and so he said, okay, I, this is not going to work. Let, let me try this again. And so day two, he, he's in this burger joint and he sees a sign on the drink machine that says free refills. And so he gets this idea, like this light bulb goes off above his head. And so he, you know, he saunters up to the, the counter and he decides that he's not going to use any safety behaviors. He's going to ask as if this was, this was totally reasonable, is going to you know stand up straight, look the guy in the eye and he says, hi. I I really enjoyed my bacon cheeseburger. Can I have a burger refill? And like this is a totally ridiculous question, right? But it's the way you do it. So if you go up and ask for this burger refill, which is preposterous, in a way that's respectful and confident, you're going to you're going to set up that feedback loop and get a a respectful and confident reply. And so, you know, so the guy rejected him and said, "No, sorry, we don't do that, man." But, you know, glad you like the burger. He didn't laugh at him. He didn't call the cops, you know. And then, most importantly, Shaw left that situation feeling good about himself. He got rejected, which again was the goal. But because he did it in a way where he got to set the tone and he got to project this, you know, kind of air of confidence, he got treated as if he were confident. And so, the moral of the story there is to drop safety behaviors. A lot of guys who don't feel confident. For example, like dress as if they're trying to disappear. They wear like ill fitting or baggy clothes, or their posture reflects their lack of confidence. And so, do go back to the, you know, do it before you feel confident. Think about, okay, well, how would you dress if you felt confident? How would you stand? What would your posture be like if you felt confident? And then to try that out. It feels totally weird at first. It feels like you're doing something wrong, but then you start to create those two feedback loops. And that, helps you build confidence and changes everything.
0: That's awesome. That's good practical stuff there. And I know we only have a few minutes left. So maybe you can give some other uh, things that you know a guy today who's listening and has made it this far in the episode can go off and do. Because uh, you know I like to give the guys action steps that can actually take something away and use. So what do you think would be a good, maybe a little procedure that they could do today or tomorrow at the very latest to start working on breaking through their social anxiety and their fear of talking to girls?
1: Absolutely. So I'm going to give you two kind of take-home tips. So the first is to turn your attention inside out. So in the moment, like if they're thinking of trying to talk to a woman, they might think to themselves like, I have nothing to say, or she's going to think I'm boring, or they're going to start monitoring their body for like all those signs of anxiety. Like, oh my God, my heart is beating fast. Oh, my palms are sweaty. So all the self-monitoring, Takes up all your bandwidth. It takes up all our bandwidth and takes us out of the moment. So pay attention to basically anything except yourself. Turn your attention inside out. When it comes to talking to women, like go in focused on her. So go in with curiosity. Who is this woman? What's her story? How do we connect? Like a huge mistake a lot of men make is that they put too much time and effort into being impressive. It's an act, and that sets you up for the feared reveal, right? And so instead of focusing on yourself and being impressive, focus on the woman you're talking to. Like, like listen closely to her, look at her, focus on anything but yourself. So that's, that's one helpful thing. And then I think the last thing I want to talk about is that just, just to touch on current events. So we're, we're talking just a, a couple of days after the Kavanaugh hearings. And so there's a lot of talk in the culture these days about entitlement. And so I want to touch on that. In terms of like how our culture has been set up and how toxic it is to both men and women, but that we can get around that. So, you know, pop culture tells us, you know, movies tell us that, you know, getting a hot babe is the prize. You know, if you've saved New York City from aliens or, you know, done done something, and even if it's like I've been really nice and listened to her, that like there's this expectation that, you know, that we are owed a woman for doing certain things. And that's a setup for failure. But that's how the culture's been set up. It's also been set up because the culture, it says that external validation allows you to be entitled. So like, I earn X amount of money, or well, I created an app, or as we saw in the Kavanaugh hearings, like I got into Yale and therefore I'm owed this. And so I wanna say that no one is entitled to sex or a relationship, but everybody is worthy of sex or a relationship. And that's a distinction. So, we're, you know, the answer, like we talked about before, is to focus on the process and our progress. We're entitled to the pursuit of happiness, right? It doesn't say that we're entitled to happiness, but we're entitled to the pursuit of it. So, again, be non attached to the outcome, focus on your progress, focus on what you do to take care of yourself, to be interesting, to, you know, to move forward in the world. And it's going to take time, it's going to take practice, you're going to make mistakes, but that's okay. That's all right. As if you can approach women being curious and interested and in getting to know them as an individual, you'll connect on a genuine level, which ultimately will get us farther than you know, than any any shortcut or trick in the book.
0: And you know, doing all that will be worth it in the end, and you will be very I mean, you'll be happy and you'll be proud of yourself and it can take you really far. A lot of guys, they discover Dating advice and how to meet women. And when they see success in that, they're like, well, where else can I go with this? And they get mm-hmm. even deeper into personal development. Uh, this is something that I know was for me and a lot of other guys I've talked to. And so, for whatever reason, you know, it's because it's primal, sex is primal. Like it's one of the first things we think about. This is kind of where we start. And then it goes deeper. So, this is the beginning for the guys who are listening. And the sky's the limit in terms of becoming just an awesome and better you. Ellen, thank you so much for doing this. I'm glad we're able to connect. Uh, it's been an honor to interview you and, and talk to you, guys. Check out her book, "How to Be Yourself: Quiet Your Inner Critic and Rise Above Social Anxiety." Like she said, it looks like it's it's for women, just marketed that way, but the information is in there for all humans. So, Ellen, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. It was wonderful to chat with you. You're a great interviewer, and I hope this is helpful to to your listeners.
0: Absolutely, I'm sure it is. Thanks again.
1: Thank you.